Thank you for calling Movie Phone. Press 1 if you'd like to hear movies in your neighborhood. Press 2 if you'd like to find comedies. Press 3 if you want to hear horror movies. And press 4 if you are in the 1970s. Hello, everyone. Smart Dribble here. I'm going to press 5 so that we can actually get to a Smart Dribble episode. Is there a reason, Kurt, you started off with Movie Phone other than nostalgia? Show me the money, John. Show me the money. Okay. Well, we'll discuss your compensation for your co-hosted duties after the episode. But since you've mentioned movies, and since you mentioned show me the money, which is probably the single most famous line from Jerry Maguire, we are going to have an entire episode where we share some of the most famous lines from American movie history ever. Now, what do you think the number one most famous line from an American movie is? I would have to say we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. I think that would definitely be a top 10, maybe even a top five. So I think you can quibble over which one of these is more famous. But I think, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn at the end of Gone with the Wind when Rhett Butler says to... Scarlett O'Hara, played by Vivian Leigh. No relation to Sergeant O'Hara from Batman that I'm aware of, at least. But a little fun story about, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. In the book, which was who was written by? Harriet Beecher Stowe. I'm thinking it was probably Margaret. What's her name? Margaret Mead. Margaret Mitchell. Margaret Mitchell. That's who wrote it. Margaret Mead was like the sociologist who I think said... Never underestimate the power of a small group of people to change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. I think that was Margaret Mead. Back to Margaret Mitchell. In her book, the character says, I think what Rhett Butler said was, my dear, I don't give a damn. It was just, frankly, they added. Hey, John, you talking to me? You talking to me? Is that taxi driver? Yes, it is. Robert De Niro. Do you know that they just had a thing, I think it was the New York Times, the top 100 movies of all time. Do you know what they ranked as number one? I want to say The Godfather. It used to be like Citizen Kane, but now it's... Yep, neither of those. How about I give you a famous quote from that, okay? okay. And then you tell me what the number one is, okay? I'm ready, Kurt. Okay, the quote is something, I don't have the exact quote, but it's something like this. A boy's best friend is his mother. That was that movie. Oh, that's Psycho. Yes, it is Psycho, John. Good for you. That is Psycho, the movie, and a Psycho as a thought. The New York Times named Psycho the best movie of all time? Yep. How about that? Let me give you a great quote. You tell me the movie. E.T. Phone Home. <laughs> I have no idea what movie that was from. What if I said it like this, at phone home? Yeah, some people would. All right, so give me a great line from an unforgettable movie. Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Something that's brought up all the time. We use this. I mean, I use that. We use it in business all the time. I know the, I know the quote. I'm having a hard time remembering the movie. It's the only movie that was oh. a sequel that won the Academy Award for Best Movie. It's The Godfather 2. Here's a great quote from the first Godfather. This has to be a top fiver. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. I would say that's number one, but you already told me it was, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Yeah, I mean, that's this was voted on. So this is um, 
American Film Institute. And this was voted on by like 1,500 people in the movie business. So that's a decent sample size, but there's obviously subjectivity here. So your answer is as good as anybody else's answer. La-di-da, la-di-da. That's a quote from a movie, John. Oh, I thought you were just... No. It won Best Movie of the Year the year after Rocky won. So that would be 1977, Kurt. Uh-huh. Is that... It's I think it's a Woody Allen movie, but I'm not sure which one. Yep. Annie Hall. Do you remember the scene? Yeah. And it's actually, it was many scenes. She says this a lot, Diane Keaton. And by the way, she started a whole fashion trend by wearing a tie and a vest. But she had a little bit like, you know, the, she had those, looked like Charlie Chaplin because the tie was long. But uh, I, know that had, scene. I know that look. Can't say I'm a big fan of that look, but I respect la it. Right. Da, la dida. I wonder how many of these great lines were like not in the original script and they were just sort of a byproduct of the actors doing their thing. Here's one for you that was not in the original script, but it wasn't improvised by the character who spoke it. It was suggested by another one of the actors. I'll have what she's having. Name the movie. When Harry Met Sally and it was Rob Reiner's mother, Rob Reiner being the director, it was his mother who uttered that line. That is correct. Um, And in fact, I just went to the New York Historical Society Museum in New York City, which is right next to the Museum of Natural History, just south on Central Park West. And they had a whole special exhibit on the New York Jewish Deli. And it was entitled, I'll Have What She's Having. Oh, that's good. I think, is it Katz Deli? Well, that's one of the delis. Oh, the deli that they filmed it at. Oh, I would assume it was Cats or or Second Avenue Deli or one of those. It may have been Cats, but at the at the deli they filmed it at, I think they have a, a plaque on the table where the characters were sitting. And in that scene, the original intention wasn't for the actors to act out the fake climax. That was something that Meg Ryan brought to the table. And now it is probably the defining scene of the movie, which is kind of fun. Absolutely. All right, I'm going to come up with you, and I'm just going to give you a line, and then you tell me what movie it's from, okay? Yes. Are you ready? Uh Uh-huh. If you build it, they will come. Fantastic movie. So Field of Dreams, which to me is the number one father-son baseball movie ever, best sports movie in my view, and... It's, I just think it's magnificent and wonderful and beautiful and, you know, fathers and sons having catches. And I think I'm capable of crying while watching that. I don't remember, but I think I can. Okay. How about this one? Go ahead. I've got, I've got one for you before you give me another one. Say hello to my little friend. Uh, yes, that was Scarface. I think we once, that's right. I think we once touched on another fun fact about that movie when you, I think it broke a record for the, number of times the word fuck was used in the movie. And I think it was like an average of more than one time per minute, which is um, probably was easier on the, uh, on the screenwriters. Cause you just wrote a couple <laughs> words, so, uh, and then you wrote a couple more words. <laughs> I heard your favorite comedian the other day. I heard a, a skit. Him. Yeah. When he was talking about the at sign and he was talking about the symbol for at. Right. And he said, when we grew up, the only time you ever saw that was when Charlie Brown cursed. 
and he <laughs> let, let loose a line of exp expletives, which was exclamation points, pound signs, and at symbols. And he said, and what's so tough is not only did we not know it, but we're now abbreviating two-letter words. Actually crossing the T becomes too tough, so you got to make it one symbol. Well, I think the total weird one is uh, you know, everything is being shortened, except for when people sometimes write OK, which is two letters, as OKAY, what we've managed to lengthen it, which is um, really counter trend. He actually says in that same skit, by the way, he says the best thing is to cross a T. And he always wanted to be named Scott as a kid, because when you're Scott, you have two T's. You don't have to take the pen up. You can go right uh, across with a flourish. <laughs> that, that guy is the absolute best. Gary Goldman, if you if you haven't listened to his work, go on to Spotify or YouTube and guy's a genius. All right, Kurt, you don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody instead of a bum, which is what I am. So that made Marlon Brando, that that movie on the waterfront, he won the Academy Award for that. I believe it was Ilya Kazan, who happens to be a Dartmouth grad, who wrote and directed it before he got blacklisted in Hollywood. But yes. So if you think about it, Marlon Brando has that. He also has what we just talked about. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse from The Godfather. So on American Film Institute, those are two of the top three of the top 100 movie quotes of all time. Pretty good for Marlon Brando, eh? Yeah. Holy cow. And what about Stella? A streetcar named Desire. Stella! You, you think when, when this list came out, do you think it made Marlon Brando's day? Go ahead. Uh, make my day. How nice. I get that. Excellent. That's Clint Eastwood, of course, and Dirty Harry. Was it Sudden Impact? Oh, I thought it was Dirty Harry, but I don't know. But I want you to tell me this, because this is a famous quote, John. If that was Dirty Harry. You, you got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Right? Dirty Harry. I was right. Well, that's Dirty Harry. But the other quote that I asked you about was from Sudden Impact. I thought that was deep. <laughs> All right. There's a famous line that says, Tell them to go out there with all they got and win one, just one for the Gipper. Yeah, win one for the Gipper. Was that Reagan, Ronald Reagan? Well, he was the actor, yes. The movie was about was Newt Rockney and was Reagan. Reagan was playing the character, though, that... He was playing Gipper. He was the Gipper. George Gipp. Here's one of my favorites. This movie came out when we were kids, and it rocked my world, uh, particularly the ending. And the world seemingly gets a little bit more dystopian, although this would be a big, this would be a big jump. But take your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. Did you watch the original Planet of the Apes? I did. Scared the living hell out of me. Oh, my God. The whole notion. And remember, it was, uh, it was Charlton Heston. And at the end, when he's riding off down the beach on, you know, on the horse and he sees the Statue of Liberty broken in pieces on the beach because of whatever Armageddon humans had come up with. Anyway, crazy, crazy, scary, amazing movie. So that line, is that a line that, see, these are famous lines, but are they lines that are quoted often? Like, it's all ball bearings these days. Is that showing up on the list of top 100? I don't know what that one is. It's from the movie Fletch. <laughs> Well, remember, he's fixing, he's trying to pretend he's a mechanic 
And they said, what are you fixing? He's, he was he had no idea what he was talking about on the airplane. It's all ball bearings these days. All right, I do remember, but I, I have to watch that movie again. It's been a really long time. But here's, remember I mentioned Gone with the Wind. The line from the book is different than the line from the movie. This has to be the most fascinating one to me because it is a quote from a movie that everybody knows, except it wasn't actually in the movie, which is pretty cool. Casablanca, which is which is home to many of the all-time best film quotes ever. We all know that the expression, play it again, Sam. Humphrey Bogart talking to Sam, the piano player. He never says, play it again, Sam. The line is, play it, Sam. Play as time goes by. How does that happen? Play it again, Sam, becomes, you know, forever indelibly linked. Everyone knows it, and it never happened. How cool is that? I think that is cool. But you know what did happen? The line... It's just a flesh wound. Oh, that was from, um, of course, I know these people. Because, of course, this is Monty Python. You must chop down that tree with a herring. (laughs) Bring me a shrubbery. We fart in the general direction. My favorite, though, is at the end of Life of Brian, when there are men on crucifixes as far as the eye could see, and they start singing, always look on the bright side of life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, those guys were great. Those okay. guys were great. In, in the whole thing, Monty Python and the Holy Grail is about the search for the grail, which is the most magical thing in the world. And they get to the French castle and they said, we're looking for one. We already got one. <laughs> I told them we already got one. Is that when they start hurling cows over the wall? Yeah. yeah. You know what? I do wonder sometimes, Kurt, if you can handle the truth. Aaron Sorkin, who, by the way, went to my high school, wrote the, was it a play first or did he just, or is it just a screenplay? A few no, good I saw men. the play on Broadway before the movie came out. A few good men. Yeah. Now, is that a line that, that Jack Nicholson improvised or was that in the book? Oh, that's a in- real line. They did make an improvement in the movie that had to do with the plot, but it, it wasn't specific to a famous line. But when you were going to take your acting class in London back in May of 2022, my only advice to you was at random points in the course, just to scream out, you can't handle the truth. I don't suspect you took my advice, but... I probably should have, but I did not. It would have made you even more impossible to forget. All right. How about this one, Kurt? This this movie. I mean, this, this was also right smack in the middle of our childhood. And this is an all-timer. You're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. And this is probably your favorite movie of all time. I don't think think of it that way. I know it's come up in conversation sometimes, but, but, uh, and I liked it. It's the movie you stop on when you're watching TV and you flick channels. Remember you told about that the other week. I do vaguely remember talking about that. Okay. (laughs) So all this is to say that when you're writing a screenplay, are you writing it for a line that gets repeated? Because that will help keep the movie going. Like for us, we have all these movies Animal House, Caddyshack, Fletch, Step Brothers. We have all these famous comedies that we keep repeating lines over and over again that are part of pop culture and therefore part of our history. Or is it great literature or is it something that just is of the moment and of the storyline, the narrative? What is it? I think it's the last thing on your list. I don't know that you can. It's like predicting something that's going to go viral. I don't know that there's a line that you can predict. 
And even if, I mean, just go back to play it again, Sam. How are you supposed to predict stuff like that? It wasn't even in the movie. Now, when they wrote a league of their own and, you know, there's no crying in baseball, do you think they knew that was going to hit a nerve and become the defining quote from the movie? I don't Surely know. Surely you must be joking. Stop calling me Shirley. Now, now, now Airplane has is chock full of them. But I don't know that you can know this stuff on the front end. How about this one? Greed is good. Yeah. Gordon Gecko. Gordon Gecko from Wall Street, which definitely captured the zeitgeist of the late 80s. I was telling my sons the other day, one of my sons, that, and you and I have talked about this in the past, but until the 80s, and really that that quote sums it up, money was not a big thing and expensive things like there was not expensive wines that people drank in the 60s and 70s when you went out. You didn't spend a lot of money at restaurants. You didn't do that. There wasn't money didn't exist. You just sort of did your stuff. You got on your bike, you rode your bike. There wasn't a lot of things like we have to get the fanciest this or fancy clothes, right? We wore tough skins. Is that because we were kids or because there's been some sort of social change? Complete social change. The boomers, when they reached the age where they started making money, which was their 40s, it was the you know late 80s. And all of a sudden, because they were boomers and they could do whatever they wanted their whole life, they started sort of genuflecting at the shrine of money. And that became this all-important thing in the 80s. And it never existed before. People didn't do that stuff. When you'd go to a restaurant and you have to get this bottle of wine or that bottle of wine, we didn't do any. That didn't exist. You had to have certain type of knives or fountain pens or ties. Brand names became more important. Wasn't that way? So that's interesting. I haven't really thought about that. But, you know, for many, many moons, many centuries, you know, wealth was passed down, you know, through generations. It was familiar wealth. And you were locked into your class, generally speaking. And it really wasn't until, you know, the economic boom of the mid century where, you know, capitalism showed that anybody who was in the right place at the right time could create extraordinary wealth. And obviously, the country had a pretty good go of it for a few decades there, and then some. So maybe that did change everything. But it didn't happen until even though it started, you're right, after World War II, but it didn't this what I'm talking about this money for money's sake and, and showiness of, of money didn't happen to the 80s, when the boomers became of age, because it was no longer pass a downable wealth. It was, and it wasn't like you keep it quiet, you drink, you drive an old station wagon, even if though you have a ton of money, it was you drive the fanciest car you can. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we grew up in wealthy towns, and the town that I grew up in had, you know, there was a lot of money there, but it was quiet money, it was old money, it was behind stone wall money. And now that town, you know, 50 years later is, it's very showy and there's a lot of wealth and there's a lot of new wealth there. So maybe you're right. Maybe that was a big change. I'm going back to our subject. Boomers. I can't end this episode without saying, yo, Adrian. So 1976 movie of the year, right? Rocky. He was. Oh, he, did it win best picture? Yes, it did. It absolutely did. And how about this from just a couple of years later? Toga, Toga. Well, that was my first R-rated movie, I think, that I saw. Look, it, it that movie is phenomenal. But what about this one that actually does make that list I was telling you before? This is probably number 20, but 
Are you trying to seduce me, Mrs. Robinson? And we talked about this. She was only six years older than him. She was 37. He was 31. And of course, not only did that line come out of the graduate, but plastics. I mean, that takes you right to the graduate. It's interesting how you can just, you know, these little keywords that take you back to the whole thing. So it's cool. Kurt, we probably need to wrap up. Is there, I'm surprised that you haven't shared this one just out of uh, reflection of your whole your whole identity. How about a martini shaken, not stirred? Well, I happen to love martinis that way, and I like them shaken, not stirred. However, he drank a vodka martini, so that's why I wouldn't come up. That's Bond, James Bond. Schneider, Kurt Schneider. And I'm, I'm surprised that Ian Fleming, a good Brit, would write vodka. Maybe he was trying to make things different. I don't know. You know, you've got me all anxious now to go sit down and watch some movies, which I think I would do. Movies are wonderful, John, because they they allow you to think if you want to. They allow you to turn off and not think if you want to. They allow you to cry if you want to. They allow you to have adrenaline and be in the edge of your seat. I think there's something beautiful in it. And the who was it? The Lumiere brothers in France in the 19th century who did the first moving picture and the first commercial moving picture in the 1880s, where they charged money for a scene of their factory showing it and street scenes all over France. Pretty cool. So thank you, Lumiere brothers, and not Thomas Alba Edison, who takes credit for everything when he probably shouldn't have taken credit for that because it was the Lumiere brothers. Okay. You got that off your chest now. So I I hope you feel good about that. All right. Well, some great quotes from some great movies. Kurt and I will be back next week with another episode of Smart Dribble. Until then, we hope your life is filled with Smart Dribble. Goodbye, everybody. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. Midnight Cowboy. Ratso Rizzo, Dustin Hoffman, and John Voight. Great movie. Everybody's talking at me. I can't hear the word they're saying. I believe that was a song in it. Wow, what a movie that was. Woo! Okay, everyone. Woo! Ciao. Goodbye, everyone. Bye.